The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome back to Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rab and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic for IGN and a few other places as well. And release the Snyder Cut! Okay. You know, that that film that doesn't exist? No, release I, that. No, I, I, mm. I get it. People are talking about the people are talking. People are talking about it, so I thought I'd bring it up in our introduction. Yeah, thank you for making it topical. Yeah, that's that's surely that's going to lead to some really even-handed discourse. That's not going to uh, to date this uh, this podcast at all. It does. It does actually relate to because uh, it is suddenly last season here at Cancel Too Soon, and all throughout the month we were reviewing TV shows that were only recently canceled. They had one season and then gone. Last week we talked about Tuca and Birdie. A really great really show great on Netflix. Anim- animated program. And uh, this is our first foray into uh, the DC Universe channel. Yeah, we've done DC shows mm-hmm. before. We did a whole month uh, dedicated to DC shows. Um, but uh, yeah, we've, we haven't touched any of the programming on the DC Universe streaming channel because there's not a whole hell of a lot of it and they've only canceled one thing after one season so far. <laughs> uh, DC Universe just kind of kicked off within the last year or so. Uh, it is a streaming service in which you can watch a lot, but not all, of the various TV shows and movies starring characters based off of DC Comics. Uh, of which there are plenty, and uh, what they have seems... Pretty bottomless as is. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, some of the more recent stuff is kind of conspicuously absent. Like you can't see the Tim Burton, Joel Schumacher Batman movies, or a lot of That's those. That's a little upsetting. Those are those well, are big hits. It's a weird thing because um, we're seeing this with Disney Plus as well, where mm. Disney would very very much love to put all of their superhero movies that are making all the money in the world on their service. Problem is, they made these long-term deals with other streaming services that they could stream those movies until such and such a time, yeah, so and they didn't want to wait another two years to get Disney Plus off the ground, so... Yeah, so there's like seven movies from the Avengers series that aren't available, or yeah, something I, like that. I still don't think that's any excuse not to have like a lot of their older stuff that no one cares about, like not quite human. Like, I don't think Netflix is like, you promised us not quite human. <laughs> I think you can just put that on there, but mm. um, <coughs> that may be the case with some of DC Universe's stuff. It's also tricky because uh, they're over at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers owns the entire DC superhero universe and comics and catalog, and uh, they are not limiting their streaming services to just DC Universe. They're about to come out with a new... Uh, admittedly impressively sizable streaming service called HBO Max. That's right. Which uh, will have... We'll combine the, HBO and all the other Warner Brothers stuff. Yeah, they'll have yeah. the Warner Brothers catalog. They will have uh, 
they have access to the TCM catalog, and they're they're saying some of it's going to be on there. I hope all of it will be on there. There's no excuse. <laughs> uh, but that with the T, if they have enough TCM stuff on there, that's a streaming service I might actually want. Yeah, but, if, if you can get like yeah, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like American films from the 1940s. Oh yeah, I'll sign up yeah. for that on a monthly basis. That's a great deal. Uh, but there's a question now of like how much of this DC content is going to show up on HBO Max and one of the first things that they announced was they're going to have shows based on DC superheroes on HBO Max and I'm like, then what's DC Universe for? Mm. And apparently one of the things DC Universe for, and I just want to give them a shout out because this is pretty cool. They have a lot of comics on DC Universe. They do. Um, That's I, I, neat. I actually didn't know this. Uh, we we sort of got to got our toes wet in the DC Universe. So I got to kind of poke around for a, a little bit. The streaming service. The, we're, that is the we're streaming pretty familiar service. with the comics. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't read any comics, but yeah, I saw they had like a huge number of back issues, a lot of new issues, mm-hmm. uh, just a lot of things and comics that uh, Warner Media owns, including Mad Magazine. That's Which made cool. me incredibly happy. That's cool. That that right there, because mm. when you look at what DC Universe has on there in terms of their shows and movies and stuff, if you're mm. if you have a lot of time on your hands, you could probably burn through most or all of it in a month. Oh. Like it's really not that much, but the comics that's pretty good. <laughs> Gonna give them some credit yeah, there. Yeah. So if if you're used to reading and and watching things on a tablet anyway. Perfect for you. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so, uh, so that's DC Universe in a nutshell. Uh, if you want to scope it out, uh, you can get a one-week free trial and then decide from there if you want to keep going on a yearly or monthly basis. Uh, but when they came out with DC Universe, they decided, like all streaming services do nowadays, a big title. Well, you got to have some big names. So mm. the the, sh- the show that we're reviewing this week wasn't the initial. Uh, uh, run. Well, the, the the first thing they announced, and I remember when they announced it at Comic Con, was uh, was Titans. Yeah, which was based on Teen Titans, but they're not teens; they're just Titans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the the sort of incredulous snickers it elicited when it had a a, a shot of Robin mm-hmm. uh, using the f word. Oh, didn't he say like "fuck Batman"? He said "fuck Batman." Yeah. So How edgy. He's like, oh, well, but you, you wouldn't do that if Batman were around. He just sort of like meaningfully looks at the camera and says, fuck Batman. It's like, oh, this is a whole new universe. It, it seems like the most Jejun crap. Yeah. Like, and I think people saw through it right away. But they said, this is the new angle we're going to take. We're going to make things based on DC Comics, but we're going to like add R-rated elements to them. Right. And, and here's the thing with the Teen Titans. Teen Titans have made for... Multiple great TV shows, actually. There was one that was taken really seriously, Young Justice, which is like an adjunct to J, uh, Justice League Unlimited. Really good. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there's Teen the, Titans Argo. Yeah, that's a cute little show. It's more kid-friendly, you know, less about action superior stuff, more about comedy. It's really good. Uh, the Teen Titans comics are incredibly influential and important, and I saw a lot of the first season of Titans when I was covering it on uh, IGN for a little bit. And... Um, yeah, it starts off pretty pretty adolescent and crappy, but it gets better. Oh, it gets better over okay. time. Like by the end of the season, it was a felt like a real show. Okay, uh, but initially it felt like there's this thing I'm getting from Titans and even from The Mandalorian, which I saw the first couple episodes. Of oh, yeah, the, the new Boba Fett series. Uh, he's not actually Boba Fett. He's of Boba Fett species. That armor is like ritual oh. armor of the of the yeah. of the th- Mandalorian thought, species. I thought he was like a, a clone dude. He is, but he's a clone of a Mandalorian. Oh, okay. And Mandalorians, that armor that he's wearing, that mm. is like traditional Mandalorian armor. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's just what they wear. It would be like that's, if you uh, uh, okay. Fine. It would be yeah. like if, if they did I, a show called 
the British. And it was a guy wandering around in like full plate armor with a mace. Yeah. Like it's like, okay, yeah, fair enough. A Tra- traditional Brit man. Yeah, he's not necessarily Arthur, but he's a knight. I get it. Um, but there's this thing I'm getting from The Mandalorian, and I got it from Titans as well, where it's like... it. I, I, I'm not calling it fan fiction, because it's clearly canonical, it's serious, taken serious, but the level of production quality makes it feel like a really good fan film. Okay. You know, like, I, it's... The, the bits that look good look really good, but there are also bits that look really cheap, or mm-hmm. uh, that you're not well, filling the this... frame the way you normally would, yeah. and I hate A-level production, and as a result, I'm kind of just sort of noticing how much this isn't like a film, as opposed to how good this itself is. Okay. And, and also, it's it feels like fan... Well, I mean, a lot of Star Wars feels kind of fan service anyway. Like, mm-hmm. they're all based on the popularity of the thing that came before it. Well, especially now that they're um, out of George Lucas's hands. Yeah, Everyone, yeah, yeah, everything sure. is kind they're, of fan they're fiction really, now. Yeah, they're really just milking and milk, especially those, uh, like, Rogue One and Solo. It's like, they're just... Yeah. Those are just big buckets of milk. But... Uh, <laughs> I like them slightly yeah, more the, than you do, but the, I still don't think they're good. The, yeah. I really hate Rogue One. But uh, the... Uh, the idea that they're sort of taking that costume that he was wearing, just the helmet and the outfit, that was just a costume when they designed it for him, I'm sure, in 1980 or whenever yeah. it first showed up. And now they're kind of making it important, like, ritualistic elements, like it's actually important to the plot or the fabric of this new character. Well, it's a value system is, of his yeah. culture. Well, but th- that's a new invention used to it's sort not, of pl- it's, it's placate not that the new. fans it's of, not of that the new. character. It's not that new. That, that's, been, mm. that's been a bit for a bit. Mm. Um, did it, did they use the word Mandalorian in any of the canonical films, or is that like extra? I think they used stuff? it. I think it's they like used expanded. It. Okay, I'm not 100 percent sure about yeah. this. I haven't I haven't watched it. Looking for this, pretty sure they use it in Attack of the Clones. Attack. Okay, pretty sure they use it in Attack of the Clones. Mm. I, they might have used it briefly in describing Boba Fett in Empire, but I don't think so. Okay, I'm pretty sure they I'm, use it in Attack of the Clones. It sounds, because it, I think it's one of those things where it's like expanded universe stuff that people just sort of slowly started accepting as canon. Well, I mean, a lot of it was out of the mind of George Lucas. He named all those characters yeah, and came up right. with all the backstory on those action figures, right. or at least okayed them. Um, back to the DC yeah, universe. Yeah, back to the DC I digress. Yeah. So we had this like much darker take on Titans. Uh, then the next show, which I've heard is really, really good, and I haven't had a chance yeah. to, to watch it yet uh, is Doom Patrol. Uh, I love the comics it's based on, so mm-hmm. I'm actually excited to get around to that. But the third one is the one that was kind of immediately canceled after the first episode. And mm-hmm. one we'll, one episode, they, and they decided they it, was it was done. Be canceled, and uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that controversy. We'll talk a little bit about uh, the show, where it went, and whether or not it deserved to be canceled so soon but for now let's talk about something really really cool something really dark and spooky and creepy let's talk about swamp thing
That was the wrong Swamp Thing. Uh, that's the animated Swamp Thing. That, that also lasted only one season. We well, put that on a poll once and people didn't vote for it. Well, you we'll might, get, have, you we'll might get, have chosen the wrong show. We'll get to it eventually, I'm sure. Because uh, that animated show looks freaking amazing. Watch, watch, just watch the opening credits on YouTube sometime. It's like, Well, you, you just heard the song. <laughs> well, that's great, but you gotta remember, there are like bat guys flying up a Swamp Thing and then hitting him like a sheet of glass and then no, falling this, off. This is, the so twi- this is the 2019 Swamp Thing. It premiered on uh, DC universe and got canceled after one episode and uh wait let's give it a listen oh let's give it a listen you saw the body dealt with anything like that before who are you again holland al collin was investigating illegal dumping on the swamp hello dr jason woodrow cdc's in town there's no way that my accelerant is responsible there's this poison coming off the swamp. You should be dead! There's been a shift in the balance of the light and the dark. Something's out there. We're dealing with something beyond the known scope of science. I need an alive to study. There's all kinds of awful that happens in this swamp. There's something special about this place. There's so much unimaginable beauty out there, Abby. The swamp had enough! This is payback! Okay. okay. That's the real swamp thing. Yeah. The well, they're all they're all real. Um, They're all equally real. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Uh, the, the, the Swamp Thing is a, a comic book character from the seventies. Uh, I know it's, the character has gone through several iterations. I know Alan Moore probably has the highest regarded version of the character. Mm-hmm. I think there's been about a dozen different people who have been well, the Swamp Alan Thing Moore, over the, the Alan history Moore, of the character. Alan Moore, when he was a young and uh, uh, kind of just starting up in superhero comics, did he just picked up Swamp Thing? It was a mm-hmm. comic that wasn't doing super great, and he used it as an opportunity to kind of launch himself. And mm-hmm. show that he could do something different and, with all this and, material, and, and he did. He made his Swamp Thing comics are awesome, and and they're like they're horror comics with like kind of an existentialist bent. I haven't read the comics; it's just this is all I, hearsay. I've mostly read yeah. the Alan Moore ones, and right. that's what he made them. Yeah, I think more yeah. than anything else. Um, uh, swamp the, the, Thing, swamp, yeah, Swamp Thing is uh, if the movie is anything to go by, Wes Craven made a movie of the Swamp Thing. In uh, 1982, 84, around there. Around the early 80s yeah, with uh, um, Adrian Barbeau, who shows up yeah, in the show. Yeah, a little, little uh, wink to the fans. No Ray Wise, um, but disappointing there. Yeah, Ray Wise was a, a guy, work, scientist working in a swamp, who gets involved with some chemicals, merges with the plant life in the swamp, rises up out of the swamp, and is just a big bruiser moss man. Uh, he, he, looks like the, he looks like a melting hulk. <laughs> but, but he's, well, but he's made, made of moss yeah, and uh of moss, yeah. if if the tv show is anything to go by he has some pretty strange psychic superpowers yeah and that because he came from the swamp he's now like psychically connected to the plants there he can manipulate the plants he can make things grow real fast mm-hmm. so that he can like essentially turn trees into evil dead trees and uh he can grow things out of his own body, and he also, and this is really curious, mm-hmm. uh, can read trees' minds. Because if a tree ever witnesses something, it has a memory of that thing. And so he can kind of, like, look into a tree's brain and get an idea of whatever 
all the things that ever happened near that tree. So he can essentially look through time. Yeah, it's it's yeah. um, uh, which is really uh, unfortunately too handy when it comes for like giving exposition and flashback information. For, for plot purposes, it's pretty damn convenient. But when mm. you consider the metaphysical implications, there's a lot of potential on a character like Swamp Thing. There's a reason yeah. why Swamp Thing even has persisted. Has persisted. One, his really cool look. Mm. Like every time you draw Swamp yeah. Thing, he can look totally different. Mm. But as long as he gets the basic frame and the, yeah, yeah, this weird kind of handlebar mustache look he's got with some roots. <laughs> although, as long as he got that, he's a Swamp Thing. Although I'll thought. say this, except in this show, and I'll get to why in a second. Sure. Because because um, uh, I actually think that the the look is really impressive, but the des- I'll, I'll talk about the design. I, I have some yeah. issues with how they handled them. Yeah. Uh, the design here too, but we'll yeah mm-hmm. we will talk about that in a minute. Um, real, I just want to give some credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swamp Thing was created by Len Wein. The character and, was uh, created by yeah, Len Wein, and yeah. I think Bernie Wrightson uh, was one of the original people who worked on it. Uh, yeah, he was a scientist who ran afoul of some bad guys and fell, got a bunch of chemicals, fell into a swamp, woke up, turned into a swamp monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story goes that Len Wein was. Roommates, I believe, with Jerry Conway, who created the Marvel superheroes character Man Thing. Oh, they, so they both had Swamp Monster characters. Yeah, they both, to the best of my knowledge, they both claim it's a coincidence. They just had yeah, similar yeah. thoughts, and and, uh, and, there, and there was a Men Thing movie as well, directed um, by Blet, uh, Brett Brett Leonard, Brett Leonard, Brett Leonard, Brett Leonard of the Lawnmower Man fame. Yeah, he did a straight. It was supposed to be theatrical. He ended up going straight to video. Uh, Movie about Man Thing, who which is a which somewhat was, similar character in the Marvel universe. It was published by Marvel. Uh, Man, did Man Thing didn't speak though, right? Man Thing was just sort of like a, a no monster. Man Thing. Man Thing was a guy who fell into a swamp and turned into a swamp monster, and it was more of a tragic horror. Yeah, figure. yeah. Um, there, there's visual similarities out the wazoo, and mm. in fact, if you watch that Man Thing movie, which is hardly the worst Marvel superhero movie, it, it's fine. It's it's, it's kind of boring, and some of the people are miscast. But like, it's it's, it's actually, to- I, I think it's totally fine. It, like, it's it's watchable. It's not extraordinary. It, it's but, on know. the high end of sci-fi original movie. That's for sure. You know, like yeah. it's way better than the typical sci-fi original movie. But otherwise, it's got about that budget. <laughs> um. But what I found was interesting is that, first off, they both take place in a swamp, so there will be some similar locales, but uh, they're shot kind of similarly. <laughs> like, Man-Thing and the Swamp Thing show, they look kind of similar. They do look kind of similar. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Well, I guess it's I, just I guess a good swamp look, There's, There's not a lot... Well, I mean, what's in a swamp? You have, you know, bogs and mud. You have a lot of roots and rot and bugs. Um I mean, there's not so much you can do with that aesthetically. <laughs> also, I think the swamp... Here's the curious thing about Swamp Thing and Man Thing. Uh, okay, so the swamp is kind of like a forbidding place. You don't go there. It's full of, like, alligators and nutria and stuff. It, it, it's not... It doesn't seem like a location that's really ripe for story. Mm. It's like setting something like in in the dead of a desert or out in in the middle of like the the frozen tundra. There's not going to be a lot of features out there. <laughs> and while it, it's, you know, the swamp is sort of like a crowded place and there's a lot of trees and life. Yeah, there's not a lot of visual variety to a swamp. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, but there's only so much you can get out of it. Um, which is true. And so when you set your show <coughs> in an environment which runs the risk of either looking kind of samey or worse, looking kind of anonymous where you could shoot it anywhere and you could kind of yeah. get away with it. And it ends up feeling kind of nonspecific. And I think that's one of the worst things that happens in the no. Swamp Thing show yeah. is that 
geography is really hazy yeah. and, and and the problem is they have a lot of human characters who have way way too much story uh and <laughs> it's yeah, and, dense, like, actually. And, and there's and there's no like there's no central hub like there's a restaurant and there's a house and there's like a lab but yeah you don't get any kind of sense of place even with those locations that's actually an interesting point we don't talk about that very often most like tv shows live action tv shows tend to have one or two locations where the majority of their characters can hang out mm. that we come back to over and over again. Now, from a, a home base for yeah. the characters and for the viewers. So, yeah. for example, on the uh, on Star Trek, there's the Bridge of the Enterprise. Mm. In Community, there's the library. Or mm. in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there's the library. Or uh, <laughs> there's, there's the librarians, there's the library. Or, <laughs> 24, there's CTU. Yeah, yeah. there's all, yeah, all, all the different... Home basis. Now, from a production perspective, this makes a lot of sense because you have one environment, you spend all the money making that particular environment look good, you can come up with different ways to shoot it over and over again, it's designed to be convenient, mm. and you can set whole episodes there sometimes if you have a good enough writer, and that's fine, it can save you some money here and there. But from a watching perspective, you're right, it gives a sense of continuity, it gives a sense of... Uh, home. We know where we are now. We're on comfortable ground. Mm -hmm. um, everything else was weird, but now we're back at the house, back at the yeah. library, back at the other library, back at the other library, somewhere. And you're right, we don't have that in Swamp Thing. We have a couple of places we visit over and over again, but there's no... Like a central hub. There needs yeah, to be... Yeah, that's a good point, actually. When you have a yeah. show with this much many locations, a central hub can be really useful. What there needed to be, and I know the the problem with Swamp Thing is is a really bit big mixed bag, and uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff in it, and there's just a lot that just makes it completely fall apart. And I think it's kind of torn between if like how serious a drama it wants to be, how kind of existentialist and horrific it wants to be, like a horror show. Well, I think there's, there's and also yeah. kind of how superhero it wants to be. And I think mm. a, a superhero, a, a common superhero element, the Fortress of Solitude. Would have helped this show. Or a bat cave. Um, or, or a bat cave. Yeah, if, yeah. if there were a swamp cave. Well, you know, on top of that, mm. I actually think you, you missed one. Because mm. you talked about how it wants to be like a serious show. Mm. It wants to be a, a superhero show. And you said it wants to be an existentialist horror show. Mm. I think it wants to be a horror show. And separate from that, mm. it wants to be all poetical. And okay, I think, you think, I think the existentialism and the horror. I think, I, okay. Well, I think they all overlap here and there. Because mm. they're, they're all part of the same show. But I think... There are a few episodes here and there where we really start digging into like how Swamp Thing views the world, yeah, and how he is aware of like different supernatural forces mm. fighting for just That's life my, yeah, existence. My, my favorite episode is where they couldn't afford the Swamp Thing suit, so they just had <laughs> the, the human form of the Swamp Thing give all the exposition, right? But like, there's actually like a lot of really big ideas in that episode, and yeah, that's not yeah. a scary episode. That's an that's episode true. that's more about. Kind of highfalutin hippie ideas about the life, interconnectivity and death and, of life. You yeah, know? and a lot of that stuff comes from Alan Moore. Mm. Um, now, I'm, Alan Moore's kind of biggest contribution to Swamp Thing was a huge mind blower, but the show builds to it. Well, so, the, sh the, the show builds to it after already ruining it, but uh, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, 
So let's real real fast. So uh, uh, the show premiered on May thirty first, twenty nineteen, and it and, premiered and then, weekly. Ended, ended the same day. <laughs> yeah. Well, they premiered weekly. There was I think there's supposed to be twelve episodes. They only made ten, so that might be why the ending is a little abrupt. Um, clearly, they had some control over the ending because it does feel like kind of like a season finale, mm-hmm. but it also feels like we cut things off before yeah. some. We were we were we were going somewhere. Mm. Um. It was produced by, uh, or developed by, uh, two writers, Mark Verheiden. Uh, Mark Verheiden has done a lot of TV work. Uh, he worked on Battlestar Galactica and Caprica. Um, he's written some pretty good comics that I've read as well. Um, and he wrote Time Cop. Oh, okay, I've seen Time Cop. Everyone's seen Time Cop. Time Cop is fine. They're going to reboot Time Cop. I'm actually fine any, with any that. Any day now. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually fine with Time Cop. I, one of my great disappointments was when I went to see Time Cop in a theater. Mm. Because here's all I knew about Time Cop going in. There's a Time Cop, mm. and he's played by Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's all. That's a. That's all you need. And and in a, I, I, I'm trying to think go, how old go I was. Go back in time and prevent crimes in the past. I was like that's 14 or 15 thing. when yeah. that movie came out. And let me tell you something. Everything I could come up with mm. idly on the car ride to the film was better than what I got in that film. You telling me you have a time-traveling Jean-Claude Van Damme and he doesn't roundhouse kick a velociraptor. You're fucking telling me. They, yeah, the well, furthest they go back in time is like the Great Depression. No, no they wait. Go, the they opening go back to the Civil War. Okay, but here's what they go that, back to. That's, the, that's the crime. You see, like somebody's going back in time and stealing Confederate gold. But here's the thing, though. What do we... You see how that was a letdown, though? Because they go back to the Confederate era, but it's a road in Eaton Canyon. One guy in a cowboy yeah, you know hat stopping two cowboys on horseback. You want Jean-Claude Van Damme in modern clothes to land in the Battle of Gettysburg. Please! <laughs> That's cool! That's what I want. Get into a fight with Grant. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Lee, Lee. I'll get into a fight with Lee. <laughs> well, like, he punches Grant. Are you Lee? No, I'm Grant. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you better be sorry. Want a drink? <laughs> Hell yeah! And he takes a shot of Grant's whiskey and goes be- goes and beats up Robert. I, my point is, Time Cop probably had too low a budget, and if they wanted to well, reboot yeah. it, I'd be fine with that because there's a lot of possibilities they couldn't do. Universal needs their franchise. Uh, the other person who developed it is Gary Dalberman, who has achieved quite a bit of acclaim working on the Conjuring series. Oh, okay. Um, he wrote pretty much all the spinoffs. He wrote Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, The Nun, and Annabelle Comes Home, and at least two of those are really good. Two, two of them are pretty good. Uh, he also uh, co-wrote It Chapter 1 and uh, was the sole credited writer on It Chapter 2. So we have an adventure guy and a horror guy. Basically. More or less. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Adventure, and, the, and the adventure guy has a lot of experience writing um, sort of character-driven mm. genre TV. Okay. Makes sense. It's a good, uh, good little combo here. Uh, the cast is pretty sprawling, but I'm going to give you the quick... Mm. Um, well, the, the main character, well, I guess the Swamp Thing would be the main character. Yeah, the Swamp and- Thing is played by Andy Bean uh, when he's a human. Andy okay. Bean was is probably most recognizable to most people for being in It Chapter 2 briefly, and then his character oh. kills himself. Um, oh, did, didn't even recognize him. Uh, well, yeah, you wouldn't have he's barely in it. He, but. Uh, yeah, he's he's the, uh, the, the sort of like... Formerly disgraced biologist who's discovered these weird things in the swamp. Mm-hmm. He's setting up a lab, and he's the one who's going to, uh, in the first episode, become the swamp thing. Uh, as a swamp thing, he's played by Derek Mears. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derek Mears is a pretty cool. He was, uh, he like, was, who is Jason? 
Uh, he was Jason Voorhees. Mm. Uh, he was in the 2009 reboot of Friday the 13th. He was Jason Voorhees. Mm. A quite solid Jason Voorhees. Yeah, he, he's he's a, a large guy, mm-hmm. so yeah. They, he, he plays, plays a lot like, of monsters. Plays ghouls and monsters he was the He was the troll in Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. I love that troll. That's a fun troll, that right? A great troll. So like he does, he's done some cool stuff, and honestly, I think he's a pretty good Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, our main human character throughout the series is Abby Arcane. There's a scene in which Abby Arcane introduces herself and is like, "Hi, I'm Abby Arcane, and I'm with the CDC." And then she pauses and is like, "Yes, that's a real." And I assume she was going to say name, mm-hmm. but instead she say she says like a real thing. Yeah. Like uh, we know the CDC is a thing. We're a hospital. I'm more confused that your last name is Arcane. That's distinctive. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge, but I want to hear the story behind that like, because I, I that's under- an interesting name. I, I understand that a lot of like a lot a lot of comic book characters have a litter of names because it's easier for kids to remember. I, from what I understand, a lot of the Marvel characters had a litter of names because Stan Lee couldn't remember them otherwise. He, had, it was like, he was, it was like writing a, like twenty comics. It was at like a time it was a good, a good mnemonic device for him. You know, Peter Parker, Bruce Banner. All, all of those characters have alliterative names, and it kind of makes them feel yeah. like larger than life. You know, well, it's just it, a little broad. A, a little bit, a, yeah, a, a little bit more accessible for a little kid. I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, and in any case, but, uh, Abby Arcane. In like this like gritty R-rated show, I'm I'm guessing the characters from the comics. Oh yeah, so you're stuck with the name, I suppose. They could change the name though, right? It's been a while since they've dramatically changed the name. I remember uh, when uh, Tim Burton's in Tim Burton's first Batman, mm-hmm. uh, the character of Vicky Vale uh-huh. was originally, and they changed that to Vicky Vale. <laughs> All right, because the original character's name was Silver Saint Cloud. Vicky Vale's better. Yeah. And in fact, they make fun of Vicky Vale in Batman Returns. They do. Yeah, you know, he says, "I was marrying. I married to Vicky Vale," and just like Vicky Vale, was she a, like a, a flight attendant or an ice skater or something like that? Yeah, no, he's like he he dated a girl named Vicky, and yeah. then Selena Kyle's like Vicky, yeah, Vicky. It's like no, she was a photojournalist. Oh, yeah. well, okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, Abby Arcane is played by Crystal Reed, uh, who was on the show Teen Wolf, uh, and she was also on the show Gotham. She played Sophia Falcone. Um, uh, next up, we have uh, the two people who are kind of running the town. The the aristocrats of this small... It takes yeah. place in a, a small Louisiana town in the bayou in the south of Louisiana called... What was it? Not Midian. Uh, Marais. Marais. Yeah. Uh, Midian's we'll- from... from- Nightbreed, uh, but uh, so there's Avery Sunderland. He's the local uh, lead businessman. He's he mm. he owns and or employs half the town. Uh, he is played by the great Will Patton, mm. who is such a great character actor. And it's been a while since I've seen him He's, have like and, a, a big part like this. So I was really happy about well, that. He, he plays he plays villains really really well. He has sort of a a resting smug face that <laughs> takes him a long way when he plays heavies. Yeah. Uh, in this show, they gave him like the most unfortunate hair and they like kind of pocked up his skin to make him look really gross. He looks like Steve Bannon. Oh it's God, really creepy. It's uh, he, he is married to uh, his, his wife, Maria, who is played by almost too well cast Virginia Madsen. <laughs> I love Virginia Madsen. Kind She's of re- a really great actor. Kind of reprising her role from American Gothic here as sort of the, guess, the, yeah. the, the angry matriarch. Anyway, you know Virginia Madsen from Candyman and Sideways, and if you watch, if you listen to our podcast, you know her from the more recent American Gothic. Uh, she's really good here, but I feel like she's almost too good for the rest of the show. Yeah, well, she, she's 
She's given too much and not enough at the same time. Uh, uh, speaking uh, of almost too good for the show, the local uh, sheriff is played by Jennifer Beals. Yeah, Lucilla, Lucilia Cable Another is the great character's name. name. Uh, Jennifer Beals, who of course you know from Flashdance or Devil in a Blue Dress, is who, uh, another really great actor. Who has a, a Cajun accent for an episode and a half, and then she just sort of drops <laughs> like, it. We, we don't care anymore. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, okay, there's so many more people in this cast. Uh, she has, a, and she has a son, uh, uh, Matt. Matt. Matt Cable, played mm. by Henderson Wade, uh, who is, is a real Henderson Wade, played by Matt Cable. Uh, he's a deputy. He's also a real fuck up, and we're gonna deal with yeah. that a lot. Um, joining the the villainous side of things, we have Jason Woodrow, aka the Floronic Man. He never gets called the Floronic Man in this in this show. I mean, he might have the eventually. Floronic Man. Yeah. Oh, geez. He he's the uh, the the mad scientist, like the yeah. rival scientist to the Swamp Thing. He's who, literally the same character yeah. John Glover played in Batman and Robin. Yeah. Oh, no, oh, no, the, that's the, the same exact character. same character. That is the exact same character. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, he's played a well, little bit of a reimagining. Yeah, he's played by Kevin Durand. <coughs> I'm going to Kev- say that again because Whitney coughed. Excuse Kevin me. Durand, who is a really good, underappreciated actor. Yeah, he he has a a lot of just sort of wild character roles. Mm-hmm. Um, he tends he's a he's, big he guy. Played, he played somebody. a supervillain in uh, one of the X Men films as well. That's right. He was the blob. He was the blob in, in the Wolverine that's, movie. That's not such a supervillain in that one. He's a supervillain in the comics and the oh, movie. Well, yeah, he was just so. like a failed boxer, but yeah. um. Kevin Durand is a guy, he's a big guy, so he's played a lot of heavies, mm. you know, visual, physically imposing presence. Uh, but he is actually a really interesting, kind of sensitive actor. And if you've watched uh, uh, the Guillermo del Toro show, The Strain, that was a really good breakout role. And, like, you just see Kevin Durand in a totally different nice. way. Because he plays, like, this, like, New York City exterminator who is one of the first people to notice that vampires are starting to run around the town in the sewers. <laughs> and he's, like, kind of, like, the perfect situation for him. He's, he's like, a not funny John Goodman from uh, Arachnophobia. <laughs> but nice. he is kind of fun. Anyway, yeah. I really think Kevin Durant's a really good actor. And here he gets to play the super smart guy. Yeah, he he's, he gives us most of the facts about the swamp thing mm-hmm. that aren't given by the swamp thing. But he's given like a really good eccentric kind of horror movie performance. Like I really think he's maybe the standout of the show for me. Like he's right up there by certainly. the end. Yeah, yeah, he really gets he gets some really creepy stuff to do by the end. Holy <laughs> yeah. crap! Um, let's see. Oh, and uh, uh, lest we forget, uh, the great Ian Ziering. No, it's Ian. Is it Ian? It's pronounced Ian. I've, I've interviewed him before, and of course I screwed it up. Uh, yeah. Ian Ziering, uh, who... I've, I've endeavored to get it correct. Ian Ziering. Ian Ziering, who rose to fame for Beverly Hills 90210, and more and, recently... And stayed there. <laughs> well, he, he more no, recently... Actually, he's, he's the star of Sharknado now. Yeah, he's yeah. done all the he's done all or most of the Sharknado movies. He's really leaned into it. Good for him. It's, he, it's fine. Uh, Ian Ziering got a lot of guff because he was a teen star and, actually, and tried to you know continue to act, and a lot of people give him a lot of grief for... How dare you break out of your teen roles? And I think he has taken on a really healthy sense of humor about sort of the way the public at large views him. Mm-hmm. So he's willing to roll with his level of fame a lot. And, and I think he takes a lot of roles that make fun of that, which he definitely does here in Swamp Thing. Right, because in Swamp Thing... Because he's playing Ian Ziering, more or less. Yeah, he's playing a, a, a stuntman-turned-actor named Daniel Cassidy, who uh, is a has-been actor. He had one big starring role in a superhero movie or a horror movie called Blue Devil. Mm. Uh, and much like his character in the comics, he ended up getting stuck with that role in real life. 
which I don't understand, and you will have to explain to me because I don't know what the hell was going they on do with a, the Blue Devil character. They do kind of a piss poor job of establishing the Blue Devil character. He really gets kind of screwed over by the plot. Mm. Blue Devil is actually a fun character in the comment in the comics. He's an actor. He's a stuntman. He's having a good time with it. Initially, he was just trapped in a costume, not unlike the Rhino was in Marvel comics. But then eventually, uh. he was turned into a demon for real. Okay. Uh, and then the other big superhero-y character who shows up in this is the Phantom Stranger, uh, who is played by Macon Blair. Macon Blair, who you might know from Blue Ruin and Green Room. He's a really, really excellent character actor. Uh, oh, wasn't he just in one episode, that character? No, he was in two or three. Uh, mm. And he was also he also directed the movie I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which got some really good reviews. I, I didn't see that one. A I, lot, I to, didn't yeah. see it either, but it got some good reviews, so that, I'll just say that much. Uh, the Phantom Stranger, if you don't know who the Phantom Stranger is. Um, remember in Mystery Men when they're talking about the Sphinx and everyone asks what his powers mm. are, and they say he's very mysterious? <laughs> That's the Phantom That's the Stranger. Stranger. The Phantom Stranger is kind of this like he's ethereal like, he, figure who who just sort of shows up and gives exposition or does something magical and then leaves and but it's always, in DC it's always comics. Like, it's always like enigmatic exposition, I bet, right? It's, yeah, it's, like, I kind, of, it's kind of insufferable. Here, here's, yeah. here's a riddle that will give you a little bit of help. As, then... as with all of these characters, there are multiple different interpretations. I'm sure there's some miniseries or series of The Phantom Stranger where that doesn't describe him. Just yeah. as there are different versions of Swamp Thing or Blue Devil or whatever, this is the version I know. That's what I'm going to impart. I, right. <laughs> we we got to get back to the show because we can't spend forever on the comics. Um, so the, the plot is actually a pretty clean opening. Uh, there is a mysterious plant-based infection yeah, in they're called, Marais. They're calling it the green flu. And uh, it basically, it's like people have vines growing inside yeah, they, of them. They, and it's they, really yeah, gross. They cough up plants. Um, and as a result, they call in the CDC because that's not good. Mm. And it turns out that one doctor in the CDC, Abby Arcane, uh, grew up in Marais. And she has a long, complicated history, which will be important for an episode and a half. Yeah, they really dropped that one fast. She like has a long-standing history with uh, Will Patton and Virginia Madsen's character, where they like she kind of blames them her for the death of her daughter, but Will Patton's kind of fine with it and doesn't blame her. And then it's never brought up again after episode three. But then the daughter's still alive. No, the daughter is like is, the is gr- like the daughter's is ghost is a oh, ghost or hallucination. Well, that that's the thing. There's a, so much. Um, there are no rules in the Swamp Thing universe. And no it's kind clear of, rules. Yeah, anyway. it's it's kind of frustrating because yeah, people have this sort of this green flu, and there are a few people that it seems to give psychic powers to. Right. But not everybody. Okay, see here's the thing with Swamp Thing, and this is something that when you're making a movie or a TV show with only one superhero and or supervillain in it, mm-hmm. it can be really clean because it's the real world. And then. Yeah. So it was a real world, and then Tony Stark built an Iron Man suit. Mm. Simple. Uh, The show Arrow. It was a real world, and then this one guy guy was a vigilante with a bow and arrow. And then everything kind of spirals out from there, kind of organically. And by season five, we have a whole ton of superheroes, but it all came from one thing. Yeah. Swamp Thing is in a rush. Swamp Thing doesn't want everything to flow organically from their weird vines in the in the swamp. So it's organically. Yeah. No, it starts off with their weird vines in the swamp, and it turns out we learn pretty quickly, episode one or two, that it's because Will Patton's character, Avery, 
uh, enlisted Jason Woodrow, Kevin Durant's character, uh, to do scientific research in the swamp, which would drain the swamp and also uh, allow like more logging and everything like that and everything would be fine. But what he ended up doing was accelerating like the life forms in the swamp. And, and I, I'm not sure if... But that's not the only thing, because evidently there's like some sort of... I got the sense that there's like a hub of some kind of magical psychical energy in this particular swamp. By the way, there was also a hub of magical energy in this yeah. particular swamp. That's my point. There, there are a lot of by the ways. Yeah. So like in most versions of this script or show, you would start with Jason Woodrow did a scientific experiment in the swamp. Mm-hmm. He it mutated the vines. The vines start wandering around and killing people. And then while they're researching what happened... Uh, our it, hero it gets, thing, yeah. our hero is gets involved with some of the chemicals involved and he turns into the swamp and becomes a swamp thing. Boom. Simple. <laughs> not not it's not makes sense, but it's simple. It's called swamp thing. You know, yeah. it's it's a pretty it, it should be just a simple monster. It, right. Where he comes from is not really all that important. And in the original Wes Craven movie, that's what they focused on. Yeah. I I don't really recall the live action show terribly well. Mm. Uh the Jim Wynorski sequel is actually rather fun. <laughs> Is it really? It's actually like it's I, it's goofy and it knows it. I, I kind of hate Jim Wynorski, so I did, I've been loath to see it. I, but yeah. I totally get it, but it's actually pretty fun. Like okay. I gotta I gotta admit that. Um and I've never seen the animated series other than that opening we talked about. Um but uh, yeah, so they but in the comics, Swamp Thing was you know, he eventually he interconnected with a bunch of different characters. Mm. There's one great story, I think Alan Moore wrote this one as well, in which Swamp Thing's like main villains, like the Floronic Man or mm. Avery or whatever, uh, they just, they, we can't stop this Swamp Thing. It keeps foiling all of our plans to, mm. you know, mutate stuff or take over the Swamp. So they decide to ha- take all of their money and hire Lex Luthor to come up with a plan for them. <laughs> That's it. He doesn't become Swamp Thing's arch nemesis, he just is outsourced. You raised enough fun. money to buy me for a day. Oh, you have a swamp thing. All right, do this, this, and this. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> great. That's, pr- that's really funny. It's a great comic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really great comic. Um, but yeah, over time, Swamp Thing connected to a bunch of different supernatural, mostly, characters. Because Swamp Thing always had this kind of horrifying element to him. And what we learn over time is that Swamp Thing isn't as science-based as he appears um, it's kind of it gets weird. Look, if, if you start with the show, choose one or the other at first. Right. Introduce yeah. the one out like either he's magical or he's scientific. I know. I think and, and roll with that for like at least seven of your ten episodes. When Alan Moore came along and messed with Swamp Thing, Swamp mm-hmm. Thing had been around for a little bit. So when he messed with it, it was like ooh, interesting. As yeah, opposed like to like a new angle. As and... opposed to we just couldn't figure out how to begin this story. So there's a ton of stuff shoved into Swamp Thing the series. Some of it works okay. I do think it starts finding a rhythm by the end. Uh, but the first well, half they, of the show in particular start, is a mess. When they start trimming out all the unnecessary stuff. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are getting this hallucination virus, just yeah. kind of randomly, which is giving the, us a lot of exposition about their backstories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Beals gets, I think, way too much backstory about, it- like her old partner and like her relationship with Will Patton. There's and it a turns ton out of characters who get yeah. so much exposition. You think they're going to be important and they're not. Yeah. Um, so it feels, but that's part of the growing pains of a show. Sometimes people it's fine. They end up becoming kind of, more important or less important over yeah, time. Kind that, of that zeroing in. But when it's as but, overstuffed as this, it gets confusing. Mm-hmm. So um, first episode, 
Uh, Alec Holland, Andy Bean, mm. becomes Swamp Thing. Mm. I really do. I, I got to say this. Um, I actually don't think uh, Len, Len Wiseman directed the first uh, episode or two of this. Yeah, uh, Len Wiseman, who is best known for doing the Underworld movies, he also was responsible for the initially well received and then swiftly swept to the side Sleepy Hollow TV series. Okay, uh, first season was fine. I <coughs> I ducked out quickly. Um, I don't think he's a great filmmaker. He's just kind of mm. films what he's got. However, what he's got are some awesome, awesome practical effects. There's some really good practical effects in the, this first episode the, the, in particular. The monster of the the first episode has some really terrifying crap in it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene like we had we talked about a little girl who has like psychic plant virus, mm-hmm. and her father has been ripped to shreds by evil dead vines. But he's been left but, in yeah, the vines. But but like they kind of invaded his body and left him body shaped, so like it's it's just sort of this big mass of human meat and vines. Oh, it's really creepy. And, and they take that. him to the morgue, and then when they bring him to the morgue, the vines spring to life, so this like corpse marionette starts leaping around, and it's really terrifying. Yeah, it's a lot like John Carpenter's The Thing. You can tell there was a definite visual influence yeah, on these yeah. bits, but with plants. And you know what? Mm. Pretty fucking creepy. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, some good, good shit. There's some really good, creepy imagery in here. Mm. There's one bit in particular, uh, you and I were talking about this earlier, that really grabbed our eye. Shortly after Swamp Thing is created and he's like, mm. hates his body and what's happened to it, yeah. he starts pulling out pieces of himself, including his brain. And then yeah. you see his brain growing back because it's all vines and mm. magic. Like he, at first, he looks at his hands and he like tries to please pulls the moss off of his arm. And he just essentially pull, pulls a gigantic chunk out of his arm. He's got no bones. He's just moss all the way through. Yeah. And then, yeah, he reaches up to his head and he pulls his head open. And he's just moss all the way through. He's he's turned into moss. That's pretty cool. It's, it's yeah, this cool moment of body horror. Um, which and that, however cool that scene is, it completely undermines a big revelation later on. Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. But we'll talk about that mm. when we get to that revelation. If you know the comics, you know what we're getting at. If mm. not. Wait. Uh, the second episode, we're dealing with a lot of fallout from that. It looks like Alec Holland's dead. Uh, Abby Arcane is like mourning him and not sure what to do right now because he was helping her mm. research all these weird goings on. There's a swamp thing already, and we're keeping it hidden for way too long. Yeah. Uh, he There's like a killer who's doing killy things. Oh, right. Swamp there's... thing kills the fuck out of that guy yeah. to save a psychic girl. And. Um, then that episode's over. That episode is a big mess of moss. That episode is just an overgrown, I'll, I'll, like, just I'll, garden uh, of, of stuff. Maybe that's the goal. You know, swamps are, are overgrown and kind of crawling with, you know, bugs and, and yeah. rot. Uh, yeah, why, why not do that narratively? Yeah. Why not um, do it narratively? Because it sucks. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the next episode, he speaks. This is one where he speaks. Uh, he, uh, for the first time, actually, like yeah. at, at first he doesn't talk. Yeah, he's just he's just a yeah. shambling mass. And uh, he talks. Uh, the actor Derek Mears does the voice of the Swamp Thing. I believe that's um, the case. Yeah, because he's been mutated. Um, 
here's where I want to stop and address the design of the swamp thing, please. Uh, Cause I, I complained about it before. Now this is, they're trying to make it sort of like a, a bit of a horror show. Oh yeah. It's got and, that and, look. Yeah, and, yeah. and it has that body Harley with the dancing corpses and he's pulling his face apart mm-hmm. and he's just, it, it's really scary. A lot of scenes are shot in mm-hmm. damn near darkness, which can be very yeah, effective, and it's, and it's but really sometimes kinda, leaves you a little yeah, uncertain and, what's happening. Yeah, there, in there's no geography, but the swamp is kind of a forbidding location for like a few spooky shots. So there's like people lost in, filth and it's kind of interesting not not to imply that swamps are filthy they're actually you know teeming with life but uh you know what i mean like they've they're, they're mu- a bog mu- mud and bog yeah, yeah and, they might not so, smell good you know uh so if we're in a horror show and we're constantly like trekking through bogs and there's monsters lurking out there why does the swamp I, and i understand they're going for you know something that came out of a comic book but i don't like that the swamp thing essentially looks like the hulk they gave him like, ah. like a he he stands upright. Mm-hmm. He's got good physique. He's got big broad shoulders. They even give him like sort of defined pecs and gigantic arms, which the scientists didn't have initially. Well, they kind um, of turned him into this gigantic bruiser who's like really handsome and studly. Yeah, I, I actually have some issues with yeah. that as and, well. I and think, and um, they give him some glowing red eyes. That's okay. Oh, if, that's if, fine, yeah. if it's going to be a horror show about this guy who's kind of horrified about this thing he's become and he's kind of merging with nature. Shouldn't he be like more of this shapeless, shambling mass or, I, or something that's a little bit less formed and more monsterish? I don't disagree with you. Mm. Um, I have a slightly different take on this than you because right. I think the issue is less that he's muscular, mm. uh, which whatever. I, 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 don't, I think the idea is more that he's imposing than he is supposed to be muscular. But mm. I think the issue and the reason, the real root reason why. Mm-hmm. You feel like the design is off, and I feel like sometimes he just looks s- stupid and goofy. Uh-huh. He should never be seen in full light. No. Never fucking no, was. No, it's a no. cool suit, but it looks like a suit mm. when you shine a light up. There's a scene in like the third to last episode mm. where Swamp Thing, as Swamp Thing, finally has a scene with Will Patton. Mm. And Will Patton finally gets a good look at him, and they talk. And... That's like the first big extended scene where it's just Swamp Thing standing there having dialogue like a guy in a suit. Yeah. And it looks stupid. <laughs> and, and, the, yeah, and they don't shoot it. He's just sort of standing yeah. upright. Yeah. When, they sh- when the Swamp Thing is like looming in shadow or you could only make out like parts of his plantiness yeah. or... Or if he, it's like kind of close up and it looks like he's almost growing out of a tree. Yeah. All of that shit is fucking awesome. But the clearer you see him, and there's always a few too many shots, mm. like where we, we need to get the money shot of the suit, always yeah. undermines and the, the show. Well, and then in the always. Last, in the last few episodes, he's strapped to a gurney and brought into this well-lit lab. And we uh, okay. just sort of get to see the suit and all its glory. That, and God, it looks I, so bad. Th- that scene worked for me for other reasons, but we'll right. talk about that. Anyway, in the third episode, uh, he there's a monstery guy and he fights a monstery guy, but mm. also Abby cures the plague. Good for her. Good for oh. her. Um, also, by this point, we have met uh, Ian Ziering's character. Right. And it turns out Ian Ziering's character... Uh, Cannot leave the town. Is he he's under, like, trapped there by ma- some magical thing. He's trapped there by a mysterious force. He was. Mm. We find out later that he basically, without really realizing it, sold his soul to star in a movie. But there was no follow up to that. So after he starred in the movie, he was stuck in the town where they shot the movie, <laughs> and he's been running the video store and just mm. sort of capitalizing on his meager stardom. Uh, ever since, but he cannot leave, and he has been talking to is it Madame Xanadu? 
Yeah. Oh, the 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 old psychic lady. Yeah, there's this old psychic the, lady. Uh, named the old Madame but, yeah, Madame. There's 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 a there's a psychic lady who's like everyone goes to in town, like Virginia Madsen. Do they have to call her? Can't they just call her Madame X? I don't know. Just call her Madame X. Ah, uh, whatever. Uh, but uh, she has been reading his fortune for like five years, and he always gets the same four cards. But now <gasps> they're inverted. Holy shit! What does that mean? Uh, it usually it means, means like the opposite. It means he's going to turn into a Halloween costume. <laughs> uh, he finds out that his destiny, if you will, is intertwined with Abby Arcane. So he starts mm. following her around. He ends up uh, encountering some monster stuff, getting into a coma. And then uh, mm. Abby, who has started taking like samples of Swamp Thing and is trying to like figure out what the hell he is so she can turn him back into Alec Holland. Um, she ends up working with Jason Woodrow, mm-hmm. the Floronic Man. Uh, and uh, he uh, he starts messing around with it because it turns out uh, Jason Woodrow is married to a woman who has extremely early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, she's like thirty five and has yeah. it already. It, it happens, but it's extremely rare. Mm-hmm. So he is desperate to try to find a cure. Yeah. And when he finds out there's all this plant stuff and it can cure some people, it's like cured all this virus or whatever like that. He's he becomes wants, he becomes obsessed with finding the swamp thing so he can suck out its swamp thing juice and cure Alzheimer's. And what he if does is he gives it to Ian Ziering when he's in a coma, and, and Ian Ziering wakes up from the coma. But now he's like spouting blue speckles everywhere. He's, he's got he's steaming like he's yeah. he's overheating from the inside but he's not dying and it's kind of weird yeah uh, if there's anything i've learned from bad science fiction movies it's never try to cure alzheimer's <laughs> because it always goes badly it's like oh we can just suck it out of a shark brain but we have to make giant sharks to get it oops and we have to make brilliant sharks yeah and because <laughs> they're giant brains we have to make <laughs> hyper intelligent giant sharks to cure alzheimer's say that sentence back to yourself mm-hmm. I-, I think the fallout <laughs> Turns out, uh, I, I, I read somewhere that they found links between Alzheimer's and gum disease. Okay. So everyone floss. I'm dead okay. serious. Right. It, it could be a direct linkage. Hmm. It, you were told to floss anyway. Uh, yet yeah. another reason. So anyway, um, I digress. So uh, that, that's hmm. all happening. That's, that's all a thing. So, um, but uh, you said Abby cured the disease, but other people still have it? Um, like there, Jennifer well, Beals gets it at one point. There's st- no, that's a different disease. Oh, God. There's a different... Yeah. Like, the next episode... It's so fucking weird. I thought I missed something where I didn't miss something. I don't know what the hell happened. So they they cure this whole, like, plants growing inside your disease. And, like, one or two episodes later, the big... And there aren't a lot of monsters of the week, mm-hmm. but this is, like, one of them. A uh, bunch of people are hanging out in the swamp, and a corpse falls from the top of a tree... <laughs> and the corpse just like its teeth fall on a guy and scrape him and bite him mm. and that infects him with a hallucinating virus that causes him to see whatever would panic him the most and then he does something extremely life-threatening and I don't remember if he dies yeah. or just stabs himself in the arm and then shoves his arm into a garbage disposal because I think there's a snake on it mm. and then it turns out that everyone he's like touching or scratching or and everyone they're touching or scratching is yeah. getting infected on and on and on, and Abby's got to find but a that, way to solve this medical mystery. That's different from the root virus. That's a different. The root virus is a root virus. This is a uh, psychic 
the hallucination virus. Yeah, it's like a chemical reaction. That's all it is. And it oh turns out, okay. and it turns out that the guy who had that, like the, the original corpse, mm-hmm. was a scientist who accidentally infected himself with something and got himself lost to the swamp so that no one would ever get infected with it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a bit of a tragedy, actually. I can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, sad backstory to it. Um, uh, everything gets really like weird and convoluted there. fast. Um, um, uh, Will Patton is having an affair with Jennifer Beals, or at least he had or been he, a long time ha- ago. Yeah, he did, and and indeed, it's revealed pretty early on that her son is actually his son as well. But mm-hmm. she, that's a secret she kept from her son because she didn't want to admit that this evil bastard was his father, mm-hmm. and or, also or that Will, she had an affair with an evil bastard. And Will Patton manipulated her son so that he tried to kill Alec Holland, and he thinks he did kill Alec mm-hmm. Holland, and he's been thinking he's a murderer, and he's kind of fallen down this psychological rabbit hole. And mm-hmm. uh, eventually, it gets so bad, Avery turns out to be such a wicked piece of shit. Um, that uh, Jennifer Beals and her son decide to try to kill him out in the middle of the swamp, but they yeah, do they, a damn good job. And just when you think, like, oh, how fucked up is this? Then they bring him to Virginia Manson and says, well, our all our weird Diabolique-esque scheme is working. Oh, good son. <laughs> but it turns out, for no particular reason, they didn't kill him good enough. And so he's yeah, just they, wandering they, around the swamp. They shot him a bunch, and yeah, and then he wanders into... I think he runs into the mysterious stranger, right? No, he runs into... Okay, by this point, uh, Swamp Thing has been Swamp Thing long enough mm. that he's starting to understand... A little more bit about more, his yeah. nature, and, and, and inf- yeah, um, and uh, he, there's a whole great episode mm. where he takes Abby Arcane out into the woods, and he tells her about the green, which is what he calls the sort of interconnectivity of life. Mm. But he also talks about the inverse of that, which he calls the rot. The rot. Yeah, and he says that in a perfect universe, they both win equally mm. because they you can't have one without the other. But when they're unbalanced, either way, too much life, too much death, mm. it becomes a problem. And so he shows her that there's this huge section of the swamp that is overtaken by the rot. Yeah. When, Here, when Will Patton what, yeah. is, like, is walking, like trudging through the swamp and seeing horrific visions, he's in the rot. Okay. So the rod is like this supernatural force that's fucking with his head. You know, in, in all these stories that are like clearly exploiting Eastern mysticism for their philosophy, you know, sort of the yin and the yang and the balance of nature and all the rest of that. Yeah. And something's thrown out of balance. The plot point is always that there's more dark. Like the bad part has like the mm. dark side is growing. The rod is growing. It's, it's never the story. Oh, gosh, there's too much life now. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, overpopulation is a thing. Yeah. I mean that's a thing. They did and, that and, in yeah, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be keen if the swamp thing had to like kill a bunch of people to keep nature in balance? I feel like that's something they actually did a couple of times, but mm. um, well, I mean I've I've heard villains say that, but they're usually like psychopaths. Mm. But, you know, it's like, oh no, I'm just maintaining balance, keeping the population down. You know, it's worth noting. Maniac. It's worth noting that this, although Swamp Thing has these sort of highfalutin philosophical aspirations, mm. he kills the fuck out of a lot of people. Yeah. He really does. It's mm-hmm. pretty gross sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Will Patton uh, escapes. Um, he runs into the swamp thing, and he realizes that it's Al Colland. Mm-hmm. And he actually tries to enlist Jason Woodrow. For a second, he has a come-to-the-light moment. And he's just like, tries to enlist Jason Woodrow, like, hey, I found out Al Colland is a swamp thing. Can you cure him? Mm-hmm. And Jason Woodrow's like, why? <laughs> yeah. Why would I do that? He's a medical marvel. If we cure him, we can't cure 
every disease on the planet, which mm. we could do if you simply betray him and we take him to my lab and I harvest his organs. Mm. And so Will Patton's just like, yeah, okay, that sounds that sounds reasonable <laughs> to me. And so they do that instead. Uh-huh. Um, which leads to a really awesomely gross scene <laughs> where they they manage to kidnap the swamp thing. They shoot him with um, you know coolant. Yeah, they kind of paralyze him. And And they bring him back to the lab. And Jason Woodrew starts performing an autopsy on him while he's alive and begging him not to. Because it hurts him. He feels it. And he's crying. Like, he's actually, like, it's really kind of horrifying. And you can imagine, like, if he just wasn't Swamp Thing, can you imagine the kind of nightmare that would be? Where you're on it, you're just on a gurney, you're immobile, you're talking to your to the scientist or yeah, autopsy detective or whatever as they are cutting you open removing sho- your heart and showing it to you yeah, yeah. oh it's really fucking yeah. creepy and everything is like done kind yeah, of practically Ke- so everything looks like a really mossy pair of kidneys or lungs and, and Kevin Durand is like he like leans really close to him like it, like the monster he is and and uh, yeah, it's it's a good, uh, creepy scene. It's um, I guess by the time this time we've seen the swamp thing enough, so just seeing him in full light is not much of a shock. Any I'm longer. I'm so taken aback by the horrific context that yeah. I'm not focusing on the costume okay. right now. I'm focusing on but how yeah, he, real the plant organs look. Like he says, "Ow, ow, it hurts me! It hurts me!" He's like pulling out all these plant organs. Oh, look, there's a here's your lung, and he just sort of puts it in a tray, and here's your other lung, and he's taking all these organs, and the swamp thing is still alive. Yeah, because we we saw him pull out his brain earlier, so he, we know yeah. this is not going to kill him. Yeah, that's 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 the uh, thing we were talking yeah, about that and, gave it away too soon. And and, and he he gives this big uh, this big speech, this big line, which I I think I is from the comics, where it's kind of revealed the true nature of the swamp thing. Even though we already know it, well, like you're, he he no, leans and he says, "He says you're you're not a person that turned into a plant. You're the line is you're a plant that thinks it's a person." Yeah, and uh, as it turns out, yeah, the Alcoholic is dead. Of, he he's dead, and but his consciousness survived, and like a bunch of plants uh, gathered around his consciousness. Well, so like, his his consciousness yeah. is still alive in this new body. Yeah. Essentially, he's still alive, just in a new body, and right. his human body is dead. And in fact, he he immediately escapes the lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not immediately. He's, he's quickly you know, escapes qu- it. quickly and with aid from Abby, and he goes back to where he quote died and actually finds his human body down there. It's all rotten at the bottom of the swamp. Yeah, it's and really and, and it's this creepy it's moment really of creepy. body horror. But I feel like that all of that was undercut by the fact that we already watched him pull out his own brain. Yeah. So, no, it's a good point. Yeah. It's a really good point. Because, yeah, like, in the so, comics, this was the thing Alan Moore did mm. that blew everyone's mind. Because at this point, everyone was pretty used to the idea of regular person plus chemicals equals, equals superhero. Mutated yeah. person. Yeah, was, like, you get you get struck by a magic piece yeah. of lightning, or you run into a radioactive so-and-so. Mm. You're a person with powers. And at first, that's what all Swamp Thing seemed to be. When Alan Moore came along, he very quickly... Mm wrote a story which completely changed Swamp Thing from guy who was plant stuff and Mm. did plant powers to what's it like having an existential crisis if you're a plant? Yeah. All of a sudden, it's a comic book unlike (laughs) anything anyone's ever really done before. And his run on on Swamp Thing is legendary. they, They changed him from being a mutated human body into being just a plant in a human shape. And, uh, and that's that, and that, which is slight. Effectively, it's kind of the same, but yeah, well, philosophically, it's different. And, you well, know, you know, it changes the nature of your existence, and the plant can now decide not to be Alec Holland if you know, it, it wants. And in fact, um, yeah. 
he says Alec Holland is dead. I'm the Swamp Thing now, even though it's Alec Holland's brain and all his memories. But mm-hmm. now he's being sort of his mind is now being so infected by well, not infected, just sort of influenced by the green and the rot that he's kind of realizing that he's just part of this big warp and weft of nature. Yeah. That's some cool stuff. This kind of spiritual thing. I wish they kind of rolled with the spirituality spirituality element of it a little bit more. It seems to me like they were building to it. Like they had that whole episode about the rod and what just Mm -hmm. wandering through the 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 swamp, Mm -hmm. and we had that whole big revelation. And yeah, I think they wanted to preserve Mm -hmm. the whoa moment from the Alan Moore comic. Yeah, because that again, that swamp thing had been around for a little bit before Alan Mm -hmm. Moore did that. Um, but, um, I think the first chunk of the series is so confusing and you're right. They tipped, they had such a cool image with that brain thing, Mm. but you really did tip their hand too much. Um, that I just don't think it'll have the same impact. It won't have the same, holy shit kind of impacts. And, uh, because the rest of the show, I mean, everything going on with, uh, Virginia Madsen trying to kill Will Patton and Mm. all that kind of stuff turns into this, like, kind of half-baked Tennessee Williams thing where he gets her, like, thrown into an insane asylum and that doesn't go anywhere because the show got canceled. I'm sure they would have done something with it. Um, and, uh, him trying to take over to town and then losing everything to a big group called the Conclave, which is ready to take over Woodrow's shit. There's one more really good bit with Jason Woodrow where he absconds with all of the Swamp Thing's organs. Mm-hmm. And his wife, it turns out, um, she, it's she's, she's already, having, already too far gone. Well, she's been having so many episodes. And he told her when he left to take your pills today. Mm. Uh, but And she did. And then she forgot she did. And so she did. So she overdosed. And yeah. now she has, I believe he calls it locked-in syndrome, where your body is shut down, but your mind is conscious. Mm. And all that, so all, now her husband's here, and he's like, "Oh, you're, you have locked in syndrome. Your, your mind is awake, but your body can do nothing." But look, well, look I, I have the swamp thing's heart. Look, and he holds it right up to her. It's like yeah. he got her tails from the crypt. Yeah, it's, it's really uh, creepy. Like instead of calling nine one one and doing what he's supposed to do, he's like, "It's okay. I stole the heart and lungs from a man, and I'm going to feed them to you." And he's making them. He's like cooking her a nice dinner and talking about their first date. And she's just staring like ah, and she can't move. Yeah. And uh, and he's like makes it all and he's about to feed it to her. And then he's like, oh, I wouldn't know. You think I would I would feed you this without testing it? That's actually quite good. (laughs) Oh, I feel like I'm connected to all things. And then Abby Arcane shows up. Hey, I just called 911 because you're doing weird shit with your Mm -hmm. wife. And the cops show up. Yeah, and then that's it but for the, Jason Woodrow. But you know they would have done more with that. No, there's more. What else does he do? Well, he, is that it for him? No, because he eat in the one of the last shots of the show in a post credit stinger. Oh, I missed. Oh, I must have missed that. What did he do? Um, the the everything everything's trashed, and they go back in to find his body, and he stands up, and he's a swamp thing. Wow, I missed that. Yeah, he's he's the second Swamp Thing now. Oh goddamn! Well, he's yeah. a Veronic Man now, but yeah. Uh, Cause, wow. Cause, cause okay, because he, he ate the Swamp Thing's heart. He becomes I, a Swamp Thing I, too. I didn't watch to the end of the credits. Now I feel like a fool. Okay. Damn it! It's like the yeah, end. There's, there's a post credit <sighs> stinger where we get to see him turn into another Swamp it's Thing. It's the end of my pet monster all over again. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's that sucks. The, you um, had no reason to believe it was there, but yeah, th- there's no, a, there's was, a post credits, oh, yeah, a big long post credits moment where they kind of wander through and they they so, sort of see some movement and he stands up and he's yeah he's totally swamp thing down. He's like yeah, and, and the thing he says is um uh you know, the original swamp thing wanted to be human again. I don't understand why anybody would want to be human after this. Then he kills the guy. 
Because he's, yeah, like, super in control of his powers right away. Uh, well, that's cool. Yeah. Not gonna lie, that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything other big stuff. Uh, the uh, Ian Zeering turns into oh, yeah, the Blue the, Devil for real and saves Abby Arcane, but, and uh, then he sort of leaves. Well, the the thing is, like, he plays a, the Blue Devil in a movie, and he sold his soul. I, I didn't even wasn't even sure if he did sell his soul or he what was going soul, on. The there. Phantom Stranger mm. organized the deal with him, but he really wasn't mm. clear about the terms. I'm not clear of the terms, but uh, he like he looks he like talks to the mask, and occasionally we see like a zoom in on the mask, and it's like glowing blue from the inside. Mm-hmm. Then there's a scene where like he screams, and we see his silhouette grow into a Satan, but we never see him in a costume or as as mm-hmm. that monster. No, there's some then there's a fight mm. where you don't get a really good look at him and stuff. It's supposed to be yeah. all kind of creepy. Um, Blue Devil is something they were obviously building to either as a spinoff or future season. Um, Maybe, but the the Blue Demon is so indistinct and his actual nature is so unclear that uh, they'd have to do a lot more building to get to anything. Well, that's part of the problem with this Swamp Thing as well. It's a lot of building, Mm. a lot of narrative lack of clarity. Yeah. um, Where, you know, you talk it out, you can get the gist of it, but there's a difference between figuring out the gist of it and knowing what's happening yeah, in your own yeah. fucking um, show. And Swamp Thing crosses that line way too often. This, the the episode where uh, Swamp Thing, where we see him back in his human form again, and he's taking Abby through the swamp and explaining mm-hmm. kind of the rules of being a Swamp Thing. Yeah. Episode two. <laughs> you, expl- you explain that he's a Swamp Thing already. Uh-huh. Abby finds him. You have the freak out moment. Oh my gosh, you're a big scary moss monster. And he takes her hand and says, I'm a big scary moss monster. I went through all of this, but something weird is happening in my brain. Let me explain it to you. So we get from the start that he's a big, powerful thing. He's a mm-hmm. big, scary monster, but he also has a gentle side of his character, and he already has a relationship with the main character, and you go from there. I, I, will, I disagree with you on one element of that. Hmm. I think it should be episode three. Okay. I think episode one, we establish Abby origin Arcane, story, the character's yeah. origin. He turns into Swamp Thing at the very end. Second episode. Is he a good guy or a bad guy? People treat him like mm-hmm. a monster. Abby Arcane doesn't know it's Alec. There's at least one bit where we get a sense of, without knowing who he is, Swamp Thing is scary. Yeah. At the end of that episode, he, he talks to Abby Arcane. The next episode, we start getting maybe yeah. not all the answers, but we start some, getting some rules. What, just some, some rules. Some, some rules, yeah. some guidelines, some terminology. Let's just get our footing here because. Man, the first five episodes of this are like there's too many characters. Mm. You don't know who's important or why. There's I'm not, they, I, they started I, dropping in all these new plot points and backstory mm-hmm. that before we've even gotten to know the characters. Yeah. Really, there are supernatural elements where there weren't before. Mm. And listen, I, I, it's it's hardly the wire. I'm mm. not claiming it's the most complicated show ever, and that I couldn't follow it. My point is, I shouldn't have had to try so hard. Yeah, like there's a level where like I, I, I'm mm. not saying superhero stories or horror stories can't be really complicated, but if they're so complicated that you're just not entirely mm. sure who everyone is or why they're in the show. Yeah. Uh, you're making it harder for the audience than it needs to be. Yeah. And, yeah. and listen, I'm fine with you going Lovecraftian and saying there are things that cannot be explained, but even Lovecraft mm. had grounded elements so that there's, there's, those things stood out in contrast. There's complica- complicated, there's heady, there's even cerebral. This is convoluted. Yeah. And it's, it's just the result of bad writing. Now, Having seen just, if I had just seen like the pilot, just the origin, uh-huh. I would think, yeah, that's canceled too soon because there's a lot of of potential there. Yeah, uh, you know, we we got to know some of these characters. I think 
there's a lot of things that you can sort of hone in on. Mm-hmm. There's a good spooky atmosphere. There's a lot of good horror imagery. The, the horror imagery uh, alone makes yeah. you want to see more episodes. Yeah, 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 yeah. If this is how hard, this is how fucking far we're going in pilot. In the pilot, mm-hmm. what are you saving for later? Yeah, so, I so, can't so you got, wait you to got see. this like really hard edge R rated based on a comic book horror series, yeah. and the pilot lays that tone down incredibly well. Yeah. I get to the end of episode 10, I'm like, that was way too many. <laughs> they, I, they... I, <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. Yeah. Um, um, I agree with you. You watch the pilot, you say, wow, this has a lot of potential. Let's do this. Mm. By episode five, I'm lost. By episode five, yeah. I'm, I'm not like lost, like what? I cannot follow it. Yeah. Lost as in, it, this show should probably be canceled. Yeah. And then you, by. You need to wipe the, wipe the slate clean a little bit, try again. By episode 10, they got me back a bit, though. By episode ten, things well, when, is, we when started became, to clear out the clutter. The char- a lot of characters died, and well, everything's pretty say clear. They, cleared, by now. they didn't. Well, they cleared out some of the clutter. They they didn't really wrap up the story threads. They just sort of left behind the ones they weren't interested in anymore. I'm fine and with we that. We weren't either, so that's fine. Like, I don't. If you forget something is mm. important, if I didn't think it was important, mm. I'm fine with it. Never come back. I don't care. <laughs> but. It's stuff started to get clearer. I started being able to follow along some more. Mm-hmm. Swamp Thing became a more cohesive character. Jason Woodrow became, I think, a really great villain. Like, I really do think that Kevin Durand mm-hmm. did a lot with that character and really made him work. And I really like it a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, Will Patton is wasted, kind of. Virginia like, Madsen really wasted. Really wasted. Jennifer Beals kind of wasted. Like she, she's at least given some stuff to do. By but, the uh, end of the by the end of the season, she's got some stuff to do but but it's it's one of those cases where they invented this whole rogues gallery of characters i guess they didn't have enough con first of all i guess the swamp thing is like too remote a figure to really center a series on unless you're just going to shoot in the swamp all the time because that's the thing so, well, how much yeah. is actually going to happen in a swamp exactly so, so they, they got they bring in they all have to this bring in like, all these other ki- the, so yeah. they didn't have the confidence to just sort of center on the swamp thing so they had to bring a, a whole sort of supporting cast now yeah. If that's the case, you do like Tremors the series. You get this like cast of eccentrics that knows about the monster and can talk about the monster in a, a knowing sort of way. In Tremors, it was a really flip sort of way, but mm-hmm. in at least in and I don't think it really it worked. Have to be but the idea humorous. for the show was exactly there, yeah. exactly. You, you do that. Somebody who has like a group of people that knows the swamp thing and have like a sort of a secret they share. Mm. Uh, this kind of on land soap opera that has nothing to do with the swamp thing is totally useless. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, <sighs> the problem with this show is there's nothing driving it episode to episode. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm going to compare this to another, like, because even though it's a very different show, you're still building a world, you're building a cast, and you're yeah. kind of building a superheroic mythology of sorts. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to compare it to Arrow, a show that right. um, you know took some stumbles early mm-hmm. on, but basically got the structure right, where mm-hmm. you have a protagonist, he's a vigilante, first episode, and in the first season, he is driven by he has a list mm-hmm. of people he needs to kill in order to rid the town of rid the city of corruption. Okay. Like his dad left him a list. Like I was rich and I was corrupt and I feel bad about all of it. Mm. Everyone I've written, every name in this book is someone who is doing really horrible things and the world will be better off without him. Mm-hmm. So that drives it. There's something very clear right. right off the bat. And anything weird that happens on the periphery is fine because we have our footing. There's nothing driving it. I thought from the first episode that the thing that would be driving it, the thing, reason why people would keep going into the swamp and exploring and finding mm. monsters and everything was there's a virus 
and we need to cure it. Mm. You don't necessarily do that over 48 hours. You could do a whole season where that's why Abby Arcane is in town, and that's why she's constantly investigating things, because there are weird medical anomalies all going on from outside the swamp, and mm. then she that gives you an excuse to keep going in and out, that gives you an excuse to find new creepy mm. things. The virus creating other monsters yeah. out there, yeah. It's like it's like House, medical marvel of the week, but mm. super villainy and, and magic and sci-fi. Yeah. Fine. But they don't have that. They abandon that, and then the show is just sort of freewheeling along hoping that you care about what's happening right now even though no. with, the, like, with like two exceptions you, I don't think you need a monster of the week I do think you need a narrative that can actually like close out mm. once in a while to I've, give you to, to keep pace yeah, I've, I've noticed that about a lot of like superhero entertainment specifically like comic book superhero entertainment that yeah. there's this uh, this sense that they're taking the audience for granted and how how much the, how much affection they're already bringing to it? Yeah, uh, that's it's definitely true of the Marvel movies. Uh, like I even, every, think every, I even think it's true of the Mandalorian, where like you're watching yeah, all, it, like, all of everything. You're, everything's all, so stoic. I don't know the, why yeah. I'm supposed to care other than it's Star mm. Wars. All of the affection for a lot of these big hot comic book properties and just pop film properties are all based on sort of a grandfathered in affection mm-hmm. for the franchise or for the the characters. Or, as is mo- probably most often the case, something that a younger generation is getting from the older generation. Mm-hmm. This idea that this was once important and you're going to want to be in on it. So yeah. we're watching some like Swamp Thing, and I think they're trying to uh, just sort of assume that we're going to be on the same wavelength as this. I know the Swamp Thing has a pretty passionate cult following. The people who are into Swamp Thing are really into Swamp Thing. Sure. I've met Swamp Thing people. I've met people with Swamp Thing tattoos all over their legs. Yeah. The, the Swamp Thing crowd is a pretty hardcore crowd. Yeah. Uh, and more power to them. That's, oh, not, yeah. that's not, not a dig or anything. I, I love Swamp Thing. Uh, but um, I, I think Swamp Thing in particular, but a lot of superhero uh, and pop properties in general are taking that for granted. Mm-hmm. And it makes for writing that's not very good. And it's really, really obvious when you run into something that has legitimately bad writing like Swamp Thing, uh, to cite another one, Inhumans, I think, yeah, had the, really had the same example. the same phenomenon. Oh. And this is, I think that's the closest analog. Yeah, uh, Swamp Thing point, and Inhumans. Actually. And sort of, they're, they're trying to do something a little bit too sprawling, a little bit too unfocused, uh, with a mythology that is actually kind of dumb when you think about it a little bit. Or at the very least, weird yeah. and complicated, and you shouldn't take for granted that we understand it. Exactly. That's the thing with a lot of show, with a lot of stuff like this, a lot of pop culture stuff in particular... Mm. Or even just myths. Let's go back just myths. All right. Fairy tales. Yeah. All these grand, uh, mm. uh, broad stories that are become a part of our mm. consciousness. Yeah. Um, if they stick with us, they stick with us because they remain relevant. Okay. And every single time you do a new version of it, mm. you ha- you have to explain, as if it was for the first time, mm. why this is significant. Yeah, that's it. That's that's you cannot shirk that. Mm. You cannot take that for granted. If you're doing a sequel or something, it's fine. The first film might have done all the work. But if you're doing this as though this might be someone's first introduction to something, Mm. you need to prove to them why this is part of a grand old tradition. Like, why is this relevant? Why is this significant? Why are Mm. the characters so great? You have to show us. You have to show your work, and I'm, you have to even do that now in like the publicity. Yeah, like we've seen like a lot of different. Like just this month, 
a lot of different like movie franchises that tried to reboot, mm-hmm. like uh, Terminator or Charlie's Angels that just didn't find traction yeah. with an audience. And I haven't seen the new Charlie's Angels yet. I have seen Terminator. I really like the Terminator. You didn't, but I did. Not so much. Yeah. Um, but even so, I don't think it deserved to tank the way it tanked. And yeah. I think the reason why a lot of people didn't see it as an event, something we have to go see, is because it was sold as the next Terminator and not we're doing Terminator for a new generation. Yeah. Like, it's been a continuity, it's fine, but, like, we are <laughs> making this relevant today well, not, and, and doing the new Terminator, yeah. doing the Terminator so that it still matters right now. Yeah, that's that's and that's... Mark, marketing, but also the filmmakers. I agree, yeah. but like I still think I think the marketing really failed because I think it's in the film. I okay. think they they did that in the film, but I don't mm. think they did it here. Like even when Jurassic World came out, for example, a movie that is cheesy at best, bad <laughs> yeah. at worst. It's a, it's a Corman film at large, is what basically. Oh, I, I I told I talked to Joe Dante about it once. I was like, you see Jurassic World? It's basically Gremlins too, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, if you watch it structurally, it's Gremlins too. Like yeah. it's the same thing. But like when they released Jurassic World. They didn't make it like, and then they went back to Jurassic Park for a visit, like mm. they did in two, and then again for a visit, like they did in three. It's like, no, 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 no. We're reminding you why this was cool. Yeah, the idea of going to a theme park where there were actual dinosaurs is kind of neat, and you'd want to go to that, right? And all the marketing was about all the attractions, mm. and it reminded you why in the first place. Jurassic Park was a good idea. Okay. And that's something that Swamp Thing doesn't do. It doesn't yeah, tell you yeah. in the first place why the why Swamp this Thing was... is, is, is a significant or important character at yeah, all. It never really gets there. It touches mm. upon it, but it doesn't lay the groundwork yeah. it needs to do. It doesn't it doesn't make it clean enough. Yeah, that, that, that pilot was pretty pretty amazing just visually. Visually, yeah. Mm. Storytelling wise, it was okay. Uh, it was okay. But you know, like... you know, I was with it for a bit. I was like, ooh, mm. this could be neat. Mm. And yeah, it, it, it didn't lose me completely, and I'm, I hadn't decided even when we started the podcast whether or not I think this is canceled too soon, because I yeah. do think it picked up a lot in I think the last it, few episodes. I think it picked up a lot, but it because it was so like rotating through tones, it started out as a good horror show. Yeah. Good, scary monster gore effects, and, and there were a few good gore elements throughout. There's like splattering blood and what have you. By episode 10... Full bore comic book. Yeah. Where the horror is gone. We're now dealing with a superhero and a supervillain. And I think, I understand it, it is a comic book and it's yeah. on DC Universe and it's going to be that. But if you're if you're trying to sell this show on how sort of unique and hard-edged it is and you're going to have a lot of cussing and gore in it, yeah. go that route. Stick with that because I think that's a, an actually a more interesting departure from the more typical schlock that it ended up being. You know what I you know what I was watching this and I was like, you know what I wish this show had kind of been instead? Hmm. I wish this had been a horror anthology show set in the DC universe. There's huh. a lot of different horrifying villains okay. and even heroes. Oh, and the Swamp Thing's like the Crypt Keeper? No, I was thinking the Phantom Stranger would be the Crypt Keeper, actually. Oh, okay. And you would keep coming back to Swamp Thing, maybe. Like, you would have multiple Swamp Thing episodes. Okay. But then you could also have a Blue Demon episode. Hmm. Or uh, an episode with, uh, what was it, like, the, I'm trying to think of some of the other And there's, like, like mini morality plays rather than a big overarching yeah. Yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, like, really, because a lot of, a lot of, especially even origin stories, a lot of origin stories for villains and heroes are morality stories. Yeah. Like Spider-Man or... Well, I mean, they're uh, called heroes and villains, for goodness sake. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, like... Clear-cut so, morality. Like, the kind of thing that would turn a person into the kind of monster that would... Menace a superhero would be a horror story. You could do a whole half hour horror story that's just 
Solomon Grundy from the Batman stories. Okay. I I know Solomon Grundy from the, the Oh, lines, he's he's like yeah. he's like this swamp dwelling, not a uh, sewer dwelling giant who right. just kills people and grabs them out from under the sewer. Right. I was just a creepy guy. All right. Um that that's one example where he mm. probably and here's the thing with Solomon Grundy, you'd never put him in a movie. Yeah. He's not big enough for a movie. He doesn't justify a whole movie of Batman versus Solomon Grundy. Mm. But you could do one really great 30-minute horror anthology episode hosted by Megan Blair as the Phantom Stranger mm. about people running afoul of Solomon Grundy. All right. That's a cool idea. And then you could do a lot of this stuff. And you could mm. you could have some repeated stuff. Hey, let's check back in and see what our old friend Swamp Thing's doing. Yeah. And you could do like a sort of a semi-serialized Swamp Thing. But then every other episode is a different monster. All right. I think it'd be neat. I'm I think it's a slightly novel approach to things. And it gets mm. you everything you want to see. Mm. But it doesn't force Swamp Thing to become so overstuffed and overcomplicated yeah. just because they have to fill 10, 12 episodes of a season. Yeah, Because I don't think they have the material. The problem with that uh, that anthology approach is that um, you unless you're the Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, you're not going to sort of capture the mass consciousness with the anthology form. I think, especially now, the way television is shaped, yeah. where everything is like sort of gigantic story arcs mm-hmm. rather than little miniature uh, morality plays with the same characters. I, I don't think... Uh, like a mass audience, especially a comic book audience who's sort of used to this sort of long form storytelling from the Marvel movies and from everything else right now. Yeah. They, they would long for what band, what we ended up getting, which was sort of a gi- one gigantic story with a swamp thing. Here's my counterpoint to that. Hmm. That's a fair, that's a fair point, but here's okay. my counterpoint to that. Uh, this is not on a network. This is on DC universe. Hmm. People want as many DC shows as they can get. That's the target right. demo. You have a show that allows you to get a whole bunch of different characters. And if you have the semi-serialized story of Swamp Thing in there, you can establish that all these characters exist in the same universe, and then you can have crossovers. Oh, and then eventually you could even build you like two. A te- what you do is you have you have like a season or two of the, the your anthology idea, which is yeah. a good idea. With occasional yeah. crossovers, like little bits in the okay, middle. Yeah, where occasional you know, crossovers. Just proving or... they're in the same world. Yeah, And then just... you see that the reason why the then, stranger was telling you all these stories is that eventually yeah. all of these things are important. Later. And then you have like a two-hour special at the end of every season, where which is kind of like a mini-movie with either multiple characters or just one long story with one of the characters. I like it. There you go. Yeah, that's how you get the best of both worlds. We saved Swamp Thing. We saved Swamp Thing and DC Universe. You're welcome. Seriously, mm. we will happily produce that show. <laughs> if anyone from DC Universe is Just listening... Invite us into the writer's room. We got you covered. We got this. Um, so, uh, okay. In the end, I'm going to vote that Swamp Thing... I'm going to say that it was canceled the wrong way. Because yeah. there was so much controversy over how it was canceled. Because it was yeah, canceled so suddenly. Fair. it was, And the first episode had gotten a lot of buzz. People were really mm. talking about it. And yeah. I know a lot of people who were suddenly saying, well, I'm not going to watch the rest of the series if I know it's not going to go on. Yeah. And I, guy who has a podcast about dead TV shows, <laughs> it took a counterpoint. And it was like, it still might be worth watching. Mm. It's still cool, if you like it. Yeah. So... Rather than not have something cool in your life, you could have something cool in your life and accept that sometimes some stories don't have endings. Mm. Um, so, and I know the show does have a cult following. Some people like it, clearly more than we did. Yeah, Cool. I, I, I agree with you that um, it, it was canceled too soon because it shouldn't have been canceled after one episode. <laughs> but having seen what they got, no, it wasn't canceled too soon. I, I, was... I, I don't need to see more after this because they kind of... They, they did it so wrong. Here's what I would have liked. Here's what I'm gonna, okay, you know what? I'm going to say it was canceled too soon with a caveat. All right. 
It was canceled too soon because I would have at least liked to see where the first season was supposed to end. Oh, because like the extra two episodes. It was supposed to have two more episodes. I would have liked those two episodes. They were clearly Mm. building to something. At least let them get to that. Okay. Like that seems rude. Um, There were stories about like, oh, they were canceled so quickly because they were shooting in a place with very specific tax breaks and those tax breaks changed. And all of a sudden the show, which was Mm. clearly expensive, was unprofitable. Which sounded kind of plausible, but then apparently that wasn't true at all. And now I don't really know the full story behind why it was canceled. Mm. Here's the reason why things are canceled. Some studio executives thought it was a good idea. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's the reason. It's not a satisfying reason. Sometimes they have a good reason for for thinking it's a bad idea. Ratings sucked. Might have been really low. Who knows? As as much as I love a lot of the shows we've covered on this podcast, if the ratings were so bad that making the show would mean everyone loses money and loses their jobs. Mm. Yeah, okay, I understand why you canceled that. I'm not going to begrudge it to you, even though I think the show deserved better. I'll say say this about... We don't know the numbers, no. and I'm happy about that, actually. Yeah. Uh, we have been in a place for far too long where just casual viewers know way too much about the inner workings of the studio system They're on, and box office numbers and right. success of movies, and everybody fancies themselves an executive. It's like, why is that part of the film conversation? It should not be. We should be focusing on the movies well, more, and the, the machinations should be left to box office analysts and critics like us. We can kind of know sort of the inner workings, well, I but think, I think casual viewers don't need to know the ratings of every episode they're watching because it turns everything into kind of a race. Here's what I don't like about that. Hmm. Um, I agree that we are too hung up on how much movies make yeah. and how good ratings are because ultimately that doesn't necessarily affect the quality of what we're watching. Hmm. However... Uh, that that information should not be kept private and only given to, uh, you know, the studio itself and critics for reasons. Mm. Uh, I think the issue is how people frame that information as it is presented, because mm. it's too often used for bullshit clickbait. Yeah, you know, Charlie's Angels failed. Does this mean women should be out of the? No, mm. stop it. Like. That creating these bullshit narratives around it is is more dangerous than anything else. Mm-hmm. And um, when we if we were able to just put it all in a reasonable context, mm-hmm. we could work with that. Because I don't think the information is completely irrelevant. Because if you if, if something you know is you you really really love uh-huh. is doing badly at the box office, okay, now you know. Don't get your hopes up for a sequel. Mm-hmm. That's not irrevant. You know, if it was a big franchisey yeah. thing, like that's not irrelevant. Yeah, I don't well, think that's irrelevant at all. But, again, but it's also, but also, what are you supposed to do with it? Go see it more often. I mean, okay, yeah. but I don't think giving it another thirty bucks is really going to save it. Well, also, we're we're so married to this idea that everything needs to be a franchise, and I, yeah. I, that's another thing. I I know that I'm already lost this argument, but I feel like people should not refer to film series as franchises because it's a business term. The business side should refer to that. But series. It's, yeah, it's a film series. Okay. I try to say film series. Whatever. Um, because everybody's hung up on that, it's like the idea of getting a sequel is now just sort of supposed to be a natural extension of a success- successful movie. Yeah. Something that was a big success. It was this big, unique thing. It took the world by storm. When's the sequel? 
why are you asking that? Just enjoy. <laughs> you had it. You know, we, we don't we don't need to keep new content coming I know, to, to keep the affection high. Certain you know? stories are serialized yeah, and certain I mean, and certain movies are designed to be so popular that if they make any money at all, we know we're gonna want to make a sequel because yeah. That's how it works. But yeah, but you're, you see, you're saying we. You're using we as if you're the one making the sequel. No, no I was I was in character oh, okay. as the executive. Oh, okay. I was looking at it from their perspective. Okay. But fair enough. I, I appreciate that you're, you're taking me to task for that. Mm. The other thing that is um, someone pointed out online, I wish I could remember who it was. Mm. Because we're, this is part of the conversation because Disney has said they're not going to release their numbers yeah. over how many people are on watching the, their, their stuff. streaming service. Yeah. Um, as is technically their want. Um, yeah, there's no rule that says eh, they have to release those numbers. Um, the problem with, the other problem with that, and someone was pointing this out uh, in regards to shows that air on these streaming services and then get canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it happen yeah. a lot of times where a show will get canceled and then the people who run the show will try and sometimes succeed to find a home for that show on another network. Mm. If you don't have the numbers, you can't prove your show as an audience. Well, if you're shopping things around, then I'm sure the executives are sharing the numbers with one another. I can't imagine but that they're Netflix just not sharing is getting, them with the public. I can't fine. imagine Netflix is too keen on showing all of their numbers to their competitors, especially considering mm-hmm. that the only reason you would be shopping something like Duke yeah. and Birdie around is because Netflix is, doesn't want it. Yeah. And if Netflix gives you that information, it is enabling well, think, you uh, to compete with Netflix, which I is something the, they don't want. The raw data is actually less significant now than fan reaction. Fan response and having a cult uh, sort of response to a lot of things is actually saving things, I think, a lot more frequently than, like, the raw numbers. Do you think they made an Invader Zim film because Invader Zim reruns had high numbers or the videos sold really well? Probably not. No, I bet it's it was just sort of this merchandising. Yeah, the merchandising and this sort of continued conversation online Uh, and, like, online forums and what have you that's keeping the subject alive. It was the merchandising. Okay, I guarantee. I don't have this. I don't know that for a fact, but I guarantee you that if no one Strip, ever bought any Invader Zim, the character. Yeah. Then, yeah. Here's the thing: fan reaction online can be really misleading because mm. people can talk about something a lot, but yeah. the people who are talking about it a lot and making a trend and going really, really nuts with it might yeah. actually represent an incredibly small fraction of the actual mainstream uh-huh. audience who you really need to attract. Case in point: Snakes on a Plane. Uh-huh. You might remember the film Snakes on a Plane. It's actually very fun. It mm. stars Samuel L. Jackson as a cop who is escorting an important witness on a plane. Mm. And in order to kill the witness on the plane, a big <laughs> mob guy <laughs> releases hundreds of poisonous snakes on the plane in mm. mid-flight. Awesome idea. Really, really funny. Plot of the movie. Oh, no, that guy saw us. I'm going to put snakes on his plane. I love the plot of the movie. One of my favorite lines in like any movie ever is in that movie mm. where uh, they some guy talks to the boss about how what a weird plan this is, mm. and the guy says, "Do you think I would be doing this if I hadn't exhausted every other <laughs> every other possibility?" And I'm see. just thinking, like, do we try a moose on a bicycle? Like, what what was before snakes on a plane? I want to well, see I, the list. I brought piranhas onto a bus, but they just died. <laughs> Um, but uh, Snakes on a Plane was a movie that generated a fair amount of buzz from people online who thought that sounded neat. 
It was a silly title. Yeah, got, yeah. got a lot of Samuel lot of Jackson sounds great. Yeah. Um, and they even reshot the movie a little bit in order to incorporate a line that people were using to describe the film in mm. news stories and online media, which is there's Samuel Jackson in this movie. You know for a fact there's got to be a scene where he says, "I am sick and fucking tired of these motherfucking Look, snakes." I've, I've, this- I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. Yeah, they yeah. reshot the movie to put that scene in there. That line in, and-, and you could tell the background's like totally different. Like it's totally like well, a different set or plane. Yeah, they also shot uh, two uh, two extra sex scenes because they wanted it to be like this big sensationalist thing. Now, yeah, it started like, off as like we, a PG thirteen kind like, of deal. Why don't we just make this into a proper exploitation movie? So they shot sex scenes. Yeah, uh, they shot a lot more cussing. They, yeah. they made the violence a lot more gory. Yeah, and the then, snakes are all CGI. There's no oh, not a real snake. Of on course that not. Set, well, yeah. probably not. But uh, there might be like a shot here. No, or there. Not, not a none. single one. Not a single one. No okay. real snakes uh, in that movie. I'm not shocked, but I'm a little disappointed. Um, and uh, they were originally talking about changing the title before it's released to something a bit more generic, like mm. Flight 200. Oh, and there was a huge internet uproar mm. of everyone saying, you can't change that. And like the studio was thinking... All we wanted, we, we were interested because it's called Snakes on a Plane. And indeed, Samuel L. Jackson was pissed off about it because he said, that's why I made it. Yeah. But... Uh, and the studio, mm. and indeed all of the pundits, thought, oh, well, we've got a hit on our hands. Everyone's talking mm. about our movie. Then the movie comes out, and it turns out that everyone who was making all that noise was like 10,000 people. Oh. <laughs> like, I really, the movie, okay. the movie, I think the movie ended up making money, but it wasn't a hit. Mm. Because the fans who cared enough about this geeky thing mm. didn't comprise that much of the audience. It's no. like all the people who complained about The Last Jedi. They're like, we're going to boycott The Last Jedi. Last Jedi made over a billion dollars. Yeah. We're going to boycott Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel made over a billion dollars. <laughs> if you like, and, 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 and we were talking about the Snyder Cut. Mm. There's, a, there's a number of people who are really passionate and really want to see this other version of the Justice League. There's a lot of people, in fact, I think the majority of the people, who didn't go see Justice League, not because... They sullied Zack Snyder's vision. Most people had no fucking idea what was going on behind the scenes. They just thought, I don't want to see that. Yeah. And mm. that's why I think Warner Brothers hasn't been super fucking keen about mm. putting together this expensive director's cut because like, mm. who knows if anyone actually wants to see that other than yeah, these like well, 10,000 people who are really vocal. It might not be worth mm. the money. On the other side of that, though, I see something like uh, uh, like Spider-Man 3. Mm. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. Yeah. Which, by the way, was the most successful in the series. I think it might still be. I mean, maybe, not, maybe not budget it was, to profit, yeah. but like it, when in terms of the full amount of money it made, mm. It made a huge, huge amount of money. Just for inflation, yeah. if it came out today, it would have made over a billion dollars. Uh, no one would have called it, it a, a failure. It was a gigantic thing. It did not fail. It had big stars in it. It had characters people had always wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And it was a huge hit. And yet, they decided to stop the series there because, I think, of negative reviews and fan reaction. Mm-hmm. People are saying, ooh, they, they didn't do uh, Venom right. They didn't do Sandman right. Whatever they did is they, they people objected to. And there's Mostly people were to. mad about Venom and the dance numbers. Venom and the dance numbers. It's like, I actually like the dance numbers. I think that, they that's, fit that's, the film. That's actually the least of that film's problems. Uh <laughs> It, it, what it is it's a big studio monster there's like eight movies going on well, at once he, but, didn't, yeah. he didn't want this venom in the movie and they had to shoehorn him in yeah. there and so the movie's overstuffed yeah it happens then also there's like the, the astronaut boyfriend and James Cromwell's in it for some reason oh, the astronaut yeah. boyfriend was actually out by the second film but oh wasn't the astronaut back in the third Can one we or make a movie called the astronaut boyfriend it actually sounds pretty good the astronaut <laughs> it's like a teen romance yeah yeah <laughs> 
But I think I think like there was this kind of general uh, consensus in the fan community that this is a bad movie. So when it comes time to make a fourth Spider-Man film, they say, you know what, we're just going to start over. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a new cast a new Spider-Man, start the mythology over. Mm-hmm. And uh, and lo and behold, they started a new Spider-Man film. Numbers would have dictated they just would have made Spider-Man four with Sam Raimi. Yeah. Yeah, the franchise was not waning in, in success. The mm. problem is they just spent too fucking much money on Spider-Man 3. Mm. That's your problem. Yeah. The audience doesn't have a fucking problem. So At least make, the mainstream audience make, doesn't Make have another problem. one with a little less money, yeah. and then you're, and you're back. We, we are chasing—you got to understand, as much as we get really excited about stuff like Swamp Thing or whatever, mm. we're chasing not the diehard mm. fans. That's still a relatively small number of people yeah. who could tell you anything about Swamp Thing. Yeah. Like, seriously, just ask someone about Swamp Thing. What would they say? It's mm. like swampy, right? It's got, got a yeah. plant thing. Like, maybe you get that much. Mm. Most people aren't going to give you more than that. Yeah. You have to attract them. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think this show failed to do. Yeah. It failed to reach that mainstream mm. audience. It failed to explain to someone who is either new to the character or... You know, just Swamp Thing is an important thing in their life because they're young and they might understand the premise of the character, but they don't understand why it's awesome. You need <coughs> you need to sell it, and yeah. they didn't sell it, and that's all you need to do. Mm. Um, so anyway, yeah. In the end, um, yeah, it, technically a- canceled too soon because I would have liked to have seen the end of the first season. Functionally, not canceled too yeah. soon. Functionally, the show was obviously yeah. off on a bad path. Yeah, because it was canceled twice. I think yeah. like, the first time it was canceled, it was too soon. The second time, no, it wasn't. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but that is canceled too soon for this week. A little late. Uh, we'll be back next time with another newly canceled show. Uh, it is a show that uh, I think everyone told us when the pilot came out we'd be reviewing this. Uh, <laughs> you can sometimes you can tell. Sometimes you can tell, even though it actually looked kind of fun. Uh, it's a show that I think should have been called Sexy Spies, but was actually called Whiskey Tango. No, it's actually called Whiskey Cavalier. Oh yeah, Whiskey Tango. Foxtrot was the movie with Tina Fey. Uh, I was thinking of uh, Frisky Dingo, which was a takeoff. <laughs> it was a great animated series called Frisky Dingo that was originally going to be called Whiskey Tango, mm. but they had to change it for some bullshit yeah. reason, and so they ended up calling it Frisky Dingo because it sounded kind of alike, mm. even though it now means nothing. Um, but that's a good phrase. Frisky, it's a great phrase, Frisky Dingo. You remember that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll be we'll be watching Whiskey Cavalier, which is a show starring uh, Scott Foley and Lauren Cohan. As uh, one of them is an FBI agent, one of them is a CIA agent, and they can, join forces to fight. Can they guys. get along in the big city, looking uh, for love and working at their jobs? Oh man! And one of them only loves business, and it's Christmas time. One of one of them's really one of them's really a neat freak. The other one's a big slob. <laughs> <laughs> They're the original odd couple. Um, anyway, that's <laughs> the odd couple was the original odd couple. <laughs> oh, touche. Anyway, that is it. That is it for uh, Cancel Too Soon this week. Thank you very, very much, everybody. Uh, we want to remind everybody. Uh, well, first off, we want to give a big special thank you to all of our patrons. You oh, are the yes. ones who Th- keep the show going. Thank you and God bless. Uh, if you want to join uh, our Patreon uh, page and get a ton of a ton of exclusive content, mm. uh, we are at a new address. It's mm. uh, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. That is the new address Mm. for critically acclaimed and most of our endeavors. Uh, We also uh, have a a letters podcast. If you want to talk about Swamp Thing or any of the topics Mm. we discussed in the Swamp Thing episode, uh, you can email us letters at critically acclaimed.net. 
And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, there's a really good chance we'll read those letters and we'll respond to them uh, on our show. We've got mail, which is also right here in this podcast feed. That's right. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with Whiskey Cavalier soon. And um, I'm forgetting anything. Uh, Twitter. There, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we are critically critically acclaimed.net is like where most of our stuff is, but there's also still canceled cast on Twitter. Uh, uh, we're, we're using them all. Yeah, uh, the, the the critically acclaimed Twitter account is at critic acclaim. Yeah. Uh, I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And we'll see you next season. Yeah.